Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Feast Meets West the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine or culture by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Today, we're chatting with Nicole Ponseca and Miguel Trinidad of the critically acclaimed Filipino restaurants here in New York City, Maharlika and Jeepney. They also came out with a beautiful tome of a cookbook called I Am a Filipino and This is How We Cook last year. It's been recognized as a best cookbook of the year by The New Yorker, Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, New York Times Book Review, Food 52, and so many more. Just wow. I am lucky to own a copy, and I just love flipping through the colorful photos, the diverse range of recipes, but also reading the stories about Filipino culture, history, and the way of life. So uh, just congratulations on this accomplishment, Nicole and Miguel. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, a little about our guests before we get into it. Nicole is the founder and creative director of Maharlika and Jeepney. Uh, She is a San Diego native and she moved to New York to pursue a career in advertising, but found her true calling upon discovering a lack of Filipino food in the city and decided to do something about it. Together with Chef Miguel Trinidad, who is the executive chef and co-owner of the restaurants, they are changing the conversation around Filipino food and bringing the cuisine into the American mainstream. And yes, Filipino cuisine rightly deserves its space and recognition on the global stage, no longer to be overlooked. And from a personal note, I had Filipino breakfast for the first time at Maharlika, and I experienced a Kamayan feast and tried Balut for the first time at Jeepney. Um, Not only 
Are they both restaurants that are educating us about Filipino food, but they're also just fun restaurants with delicious food that New Yorkers love to dine in for any occasion. And so thank you guys for creating these spaces and for driving the conversation around Filipino food. Thank you. Um, all right, Nicole. Uh, let's start with you. Your story and intro to the book is deeply moving and personal. Um, for our listeners that are not familiar, can you provide an overview of your journey from ad executive to restaurateur? Right. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. What did that take? Um, well, I was at Saatchi and uh, I was uh, 21, newly from San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I took for granted how diverse San Francisco was in terms of the Chinese Filipino community. And, and you moved there from San Diego? Uh, yes, I, w I lived in San Diego, grew mm -hmm. up there, went to college at the University of San Francisco. And then uh, I think I graduated on May 23rd and I wound up in New York on June 1st. So that's always been a big anniversary for me. Yeah. And I had $75, no job, no place to live no friends, no family, um, and a one-way ticket. How did you decide on New York? Um, I always knew that I was going to be in New York. Um, I grew up watching Coco on Fame or <laughs> uh, Woody Allen movies. Oh, yeah. I um, uh, was a little obsessed with Jackie O and John John and, you know, hearing about this neighborhood, Tribeca, yeah. I just everything about New York, you know, De Niro, everything, the 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 attitude, the swag, the grit. Mm -hmm. um, I loved it. And, and without having were, been here. Uh, going into the ad industry too, like the the mad men here yeah. in New York. Yeah. So I knew going into college that I was gonna be in advertising. Mm. I started working even as a freshman, um, full units and working um, at a small agency called Goldberg Moser O'Neill. And I felt what I was doing was planting seeds, knowing that I was going to go to New York. And then I would have all these, you know, seemingly connections for at, at that time we would call informational interviews. Uh, let me cut to the chase after that. I mean, I, I got here, I gave myself 14 days and I said, you know, within 14 days, if I don't have any offers, I got to I, I can't live here anymore. I lived in a Filipino convent. I lived in a Kano Lodge in Newark. It's been a long journey, and you know, I was just really focused. Um, and in advertising, I loved it. I love mm -hmm. the people. I love strategy. I love planning. I love the idea of shared teamwork um, and shared um, acknowledgement of you know working on a campaign. I was very accustomed to that. Um, and when I was working on a creative brief really dawned on me what a target market is and who was getting attention and when mm -hmm. it was not people of color right and uh, specifically even not Filipinos from my knowledge and then I, and then at that time Thai food was getting really popular mm -hmm. and uh, people would always ask me where do we go for Thai food I'm like yo I'm not Thai. What are you talking? You know, like if you can only imagine, pad Thai as a dish was just gaining popularity at that time. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's '98. At that time, you know, Food Network wasn't really where it is. Social media wasn't. And uh, I was trying to think, how can I bridge my knowledge of the lack of diversity in advertising campaigns, that we weren't given any acknowledgement, that you know, we're even part of a target demo. 
And I said, hmm, maybe I could do that through food. And uh, I had never thought I was going to be a restaurateur. I thought I was going to be the next uh, Donnie Deutsch. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, that's where the idea really sparked, was maybe I could help translate my culture through, uh, through food. Right, And wow. um, I moonlighted for 12 years. So while I was an ad exec, um, at night I started as a dishwasher and like you knew you wanted to get in the industry and you just started. Yeah, I knew that I I knew that restaurants had a 90% failure rate. Mm. I knew that I was scared shitless of, you know, people coming in drunk or coked up. I was so scared of people coming in coked up <laughs> and or like calling out for their shift that um, I said, I, I better teach myself how to bartend in case I need to bartend. I better learn how to dishwash if I need to dishwash. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I can recall even dumbing down, like, you know, taking off my makeup, putting my hair in a bun, mm -hmm. and just really putting my head down so that they wouldn't see who I was in the day, which was an Ann Taylor, you know, or <laughs> Banana Republic person. I don't know. So, yeah, it was, I, I believe in long-range vision. I believe in um, paying your dues and that it's never really overnight. Yeah, and so, so how long did you do that for moonlighting before you <clears throat> took the jump? So I I led two lives for 12 years. 12 years. Yeah, so well, at that time, you know, I remember yeah. people weren't going to the boroughs. You know, you needed, you literally needed and figuratively needed a passport if you were going to go to Queens or Brooklyn for right. food. And um, it was just a different New York then. I, I want to preface that for people who, are, who may be listening that might be thinking the New York now is the New York then, and it wasn't. Yeah. And so we had an expense account, and we were going to the best restaurants in New York City at that time, Asia to Cuba, and it was all mm -hmm. Manhattan-centric. Mm -hmm. And uh, I spent my 20s working um, on the weekends while m my friends were you know, renting houses in the summertime and just a different experience for me. So yeah. uh, 12 years. 12 the, years. And then uh, I got a GM position and I, I bounced advertising. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then you saw the daylight. <laughs> I saw the daylight. Um, and Miguel, when and how did you get involved in the process? Uh, I got involved in the process meeting Nicole at a restaurant in Soho. Uh I literally had just graduated culinary school and I went for an interview at this place and she was my first interview before I met with Chef. And that's how I got introduced to Nicole. Mm -hmm. uh, months later, I became the executive chef of the restaurant and Amazing. I saw Nicole sitting in a corner crying. Oh. So I, I approached her and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she, she told me she wanted to open up a Filipino restaurant but couldn't find a chef that would believe in it. Mm-hmm. I turned to her and I said, well, let me help you out with it. You know, I can be your puppet. It's like, tell me what you want to do and we can do this together. And that was the birth of our relationship. That's how I got into Filipino food. I didn't know much about it. So most of the things that I learned was from her and her father and doing a lot of research and reading books. We were running a pop-up out of her apartment where we would invite complete strangers into the apartment just to cook for them and see what kind of response we would get. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we really went 
rogue and you, know, you did some hustled. real testing some audience targeting some testing yeah i i believe like there's a book by malcolm gladwell called the outlier and and putting the hours in and um actually miguel and i practiced the food for about two years before we even yeah i was gonna ask um, wow opened up as a, a pop-up a legitimate pop-up and at that time no one called it a pop-up we called ourselves a limited engagement because the word hadn't even yeah, that up. was a different era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was like Time Out New York that said we were popping up and then born um, an idea for, I think, other entrepreneurs to start very scrappily. Yeah, um, test out the market. Test out the market. Yeah. And as Miguel said, we would um, invite people. If we met you in a bodega and found out you were Filipino, we'd be like, come over wow. to the house. And um, we we set up the living room like a restaurant. We mm -hmm. had menus and, you know, my couch became a banquette. <laughs> and um, Miguel really honed in on Filipino flavors, I think, during that time. Yeah. And then you also mentioned connecting with Nicole's family on this. Getting Was that part of the crash course as well? <laughs> Uh, well, Nicole's father is the cook of the family, and you know he flew out to New York one weekend, and we cooked in the kitchen. And he's always been one of my greatest sources. You know, reaching out to him, it's like I text him with Google Translate into Tagalog, uh, and he responds, wow. and then I translate, so we go back and forth. Uh, so yeah, connecting with her family really helped you know hone my skills when mm -hmm. it comes to Filipino food. And as we progressed with this project, we eventually took a three and a half month trip and backpack throughout the Philippines to really oh, wow. learn more about the food, the culture and the people. Yeah. Where did you guys all travel during that time? We, we started in Manila and then we found ourselves in Pugudpud, which is the most Northern part of the mm, Philippines mm -hmm. and zigzagged our way down. Um, and then in ensuing trips, we found ourselves in Arm, which is the autonomous region of Muslim Mindanao. Um, the food there is really unknown for even a lot of Filipinos, which I hope the book helps highlight. Mm -hmm. Cuisine that is even unknown to me mm -hmm. as a Filipino. Um, Miguel and I went spelunking in caves, <laughs> water caves, and um, motorcycled through at midnight. And our such fond memories our bike breaking down and then <laughs> a family seeing us and then saying you know here's some lambonog and fixing the bike yeah. i think that those experiences can't be um Replicated. dismissed mm -hmm. in learning a cuisine and learning a people and a food and it goes way beyond um reading a recipe you yeah. get to feel the soul. And I think that's why when we eat food from our mothers or right. fathers or um, what's your culture? Chinese. Chinese. So yeah. how do you say auntie in Chinese? Uh, ai. Ai. Yeah. So if we eat our food from ai's that yeah. like it, you can't translate that. Mm -hmm. There's a, we call it a little something something. And I think that that's ultimately what set us apart or at least um, gave gravitas to the food. Yeah, so you guys almost had this like three-pronged approach where you did the research and like had um, recipes done with like your family members and then you did the pop-ups and testing in your own kitchen and then you did the whole immersion yeah. in the Philippines. Yeah. And then at that point, did you know like we're going to open the restaurant now? Like, Well, <laughs> I, 
Um, how do I describe this? When you have um, a vision or you have a dream and you're so myopic and so focused on it, it never comes into question whether it's going to materialize. Mm. The question is when. Yeah. Or the question becomes uh, when will the opportunity strike? Mm -hmm. So I remember building on the dream um, separate from Miguel, you know, just in my own head about mm -hmm. it. And... Um, being made fun of people would say oh when are you going to open your restaurant in 2008 you know at that time and you for any of your listeners out that I say that because you really cannot be dissuaded if you really want it you have to keep going mm -hmm. um and Miguel and I were sitting in a cafe and at that time the pop-up had mm -hmm. already materialized we had it in the East Village we went to Will and then we went to Williamsburg we had kinfolk and then in the meatpacking district and then Miguel, remember when... We had decal market also. Yeah. Mm. And we had all these little satellites, but right. we wanted a home. And how did we get we, Maharlika? We were literally sitting at this cafe with um, one of our partners at the time, and we were discussing how we were going to have or find a home base so we mm -hmm. can handle all of these little satellites. And, of course, we were all thinking big and having multiple satellites all across the, the all across New York, and the cafe that we were sitting at, the owner approached us and said, I have a restaurant on First Avenue that I'm not using. You guys interested? It was, I don't know, it just fell in our lap. We literally, this was on a Friday. Yeah. We went and looked at the place. Sunday, we had keys. Wow. Two weeks the later. The New York way. The yeah. New York way. I mean, two <laughs> weeks later, you know, all our friends were in there helping us paint and get the place ready oh to go. Gosh. Two weeks later, we were open. You know, that's so funny you say that because I always was like, when am I going to get the New York hookup? You know, like, and that that's what it is, like being in the right place, right time, speaking up, and as Miguel said, just talking it out loud. Yeah, and that it helps to, to you ask have, I, I'm not, universe. You have to. Some people like yeah. to keep their dreams right, close, and right. to an extent, the execution, yes, yeah. but you got to tell people. Right, and you've been, like, talking it up for, like, 10 years at that point. More oh, than I that. mean, I, yeah, yeah it was, it's been a while, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So you guys open Maharlika and then Jeepney, and um, now it's almost been like ten years since then, right? It's can you believe that? <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so, what compelled you to uh, publish the book last year? How did you know it was the right time to do that? This was something that Nicole had been working on for years. It's something that she. <laughs> thought about many years ago, even before she met me, she knew she wanted to do a book. And uh, she's ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she put the work into it. We were sitting at the restaurant. We met um, one of the regulars was a publisher who just connected us to the right people. Oh, again, and, you guys were talking about it. Right. And um, Someone heard. Exactly. And he told us, you know, he connected us with the right people and the ball started rolling and two and a half years later here comes you know the birth of the cookbook you know i am a filipino and this is how we cook yeah uh the title was very important uh because there's so many different ways of cooking filipino food mm -hmm. and none of them are wrong they're all equally delicious but this mm -hmm. is the way we cook mm -hmm. um so really the idea for the book is 20 years as well like <laughs> I, like i said i'm a yeah. long-term dreamer <laughs> And uh, I had started conceptualizing it then. Mm -hmm. So the title of the book harkens to a poem from um, a, a, a 
politician in 1940s. I am a Filipino, and mm-hmm. you have to remember it's like World War II, imperialism. There's yeah. so much going on, yeah. and it was so poetic. And I rem- I'll never forget the line. It was like, um, I have an obligation to my past and a responsibility to my future. And mm-hmm. so once I got that line and nailed, it solidified what I thought the book was going to turn out to be. And I... I, I bring that back to my advertising days, having a creative brief, having a proposal and knowing from the start what you're about. It keeps you rooted. It keeps decisions at bay or choices. Um, And the book was just nominated. We found out today, by the way, for uh, James Beard. Oh my gosh, congrats, you guys. It really is because um, it it really is something because it's not just a cookbook and you wrote this um, in your intro, too, and I'll, I'll read a quick snippet from it. Okay. But you, you wrote, Nicole, this is not just a cookbook. It's a manifesto. It's our goal to help change the conversation about the foods I grew up on so that no one ever has to feel embarrassed about Filipino food and its customs like I was. We want to reframe the thinking so that people can consider Filipino food modern, authentic, and relevant by highlighting the details like its choice ingredients, unique flavors, and distinct techniques. We want to give Filipino food a seat at the culinary table. Let Filipino food be universally regarded as one of the world's classic cuisines. Oh, shit. Ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so that was written a while ago, so thank you um, for even having us here yeah. and talking about the book. Um, In the intro, I wanted to make sure that the book put Filipino food in the language of chef's cuisine. Mm -hmm. So in in cooking, we know mother sauces. Mm -hmm. Well, in Filipino food, we also have mother sauces and our own version of mirepoix. And I think that when we elevate a cuisine in a vocabulary that's well-respected, the food then it cannot be anything but elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does a lot, not just for the food, but for a community, a culture, and it helps diversify an industry um, with new ingredients, new ways of cooking. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought you guys did a great job in making it accessible. So like breaking down the book so people wouldn't feel intimidated cooking from it. Oh, that's um, all Miguel. Yeah. That's definitely good, Miguel's. Yeah, good work on that, Miguel. Thank you. you know, <laughs> we wanted to make sure that people weren't intimidated to try Filipino food and make it as simple as possible because it is a very simple cuisine. It's all about technique and understanding when to brown your garlic and when to add the meat. Yeah. And you know, letting people know that most of the ingredients were available in your cupboard. You didn't really have to go out and seek new things with the exception of, you know, fermented shrimp paste, which is so delicious. <laughs> right. um, but we wanted to make it as simple and, you know, easily accessible to everyone. Yeah, I think that you'll, I think a lot of people will be surprised that they could cook any number of dishes with the ingredients that they already have in their Mm -hmm. pantry. If you've got soy sauce, people, if you've got (laughs) vinegar, bay leaves, garlic, (laughs) peppercorn, you have adobo already. You have it in your kitchen. You could do it with broccoli. You can do it with gong gong. You can do it with fish or pork. Like, you're already on your way to being um, an honorary Filipino. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, So let's also talk about what were some of your favorite dishes in the book? I know, you know, every recipe is your baby, but like, which ones do you guys tend to, you know, 
come back to and cook a lot of. Linampang. Right? And what, and that, what is, is that? Yeah. It's, it's a fish soup, but the vegetables are charred. The, veg, uh, mm. the fish is charred, and then you put it in a nice fish broth and just let it cook down. So the broth itself just draws out all that smoky flavor, which I can, oh. I'm can i salivating right now just thinking yeah. about it. But <laughs> the key to this one is that at the end, you finish, off, you finish it off with a touch of evaporated milk. Oh. And it just mellows the dish out and brings all the flavors out together so you oh. can taste every single thing, the tomato, the onion, the fish. Plus the it's so colorful. And it's nice and has a nice texture to yeah. the broth as well. I mean, I've never had a soup where the soup tastes grilled. Tell me how you grill a soup and I'll show you Linampan. <laughs> how do you grill a soup? I mean, that's what it is. So yeah. with every bite, you get this smokiness. Yeah, It's so delicious. Is that yeah. from a particular region of the Philippines? It's from an area called Iloilo which is part of a strip of islands called the Bisayan Islands. So there's three major regions mm. in the Philippines, Luzon, um, Bisayan, and then Mindanao. And in Bisayan Islands, there's uh, an area called Iloilo, and it's just so rich with seafood. And, you know, it was a port for um, Chinese immigration. So you see a lot of Chinese right. influence. Yeah, in fact, influence. the first bite of Filipino food a lot of people will have is Chinese um, in background, it could be lumpia or it could be shopao mm. and pancit. So um, this particular area is called Iloilo, and we really loved the food there, right, Migs? Everything like, we had there was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time I ever had spider conch, which, if you don't know what spider conch is, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, describe. it's a sea snail, uh, basically, but... You know, it was just steamed, and you pulled it out of the shell and dipped it in some calamansi and suka, wow. suka bean vinegar. Yeah. And just, so you fresh. can taste yeah. the ocean. You can taste the freshness. Amazing food everywhere you went in Iloilo. I mean, across all of the Philippines, it just changed from region to region and really took you to a different place, depending on where you were. Yeah, the, the nuance and the regionality in Filipino food is so... Um, beautiful. It's so it's so tasty. It's specific. It's its own farm to table, mm-hmm. um, which as growing up as a Filipino in America, I had no idea of that. Yeah, it was that level of regionality and specialization. None. Zilch. <laughs> yeah. Zippo. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, Nicole, what about you? What are some of your favorite recipes from the book? Well, one is um, a a modern take on something very simple, which is garlic rice. And um, if you had it or your listeners out there, it's a a breakfast staple, usually served with um, a fried egg. And um, sin, how do you pronounce it? Sinangag? Say it again. I cannot get that <laughs> in. Um, so um, usually it's just frying up a little garlic and then putting in old rice. But the way Miguel approached that dish, all of a sudden the garlic was thoroughly permeated in every bite. Mm-hmm. And four ingredients, huh? Rice, garlic, salt, and oil. So and simple. again, like what he was saying, the way he applied his technique, all of a sudden took something so simple and just made it really professional grade that anyone can do at home through the book. Um, and then hmm, I would say I like 
any of the adobos. And there's a whole chapter um, about it. Growing up, I thought there was only one kind, which is with soy sauce. And then we have one that is not with soy sauce with only vinegar and cloves and baking spices. Or one with achuete, which Mm. is a red adobo. So, What makes it an adobo? What's the foundation of an adobo? Vinegar. Mm. Vinegar is definitely the key ingredient in making an adobo because it was a form of preservation. Oh. So whenever an adobo was cooked, it could be left out you know, all day long and it wouldn't spoil. It was even left out overnight and it wouldn't spoil. And the flavors just developed as it sat longer. So again, depending on what region you were, the adobo mm. could change. In Mindanao, they added uh, the spices that were available. So you had some clove cinnamon and star anise. Or turmeric. Or turmeric if you went further uh, further south, um, which turmeric is a whole different flavor, which was amazing to me. Um, as you go up to central Manila, it's more soy sauce based. And then you go gotcha. a little bit west and you have some coconut milk that's incorporated into it. So... I mean, there's so many different adobos. With 7,107 islands, it's oh like, God. you know, everybody's Lola makes the best adobo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Do it your way. Adobo your way. Adobo yeah. your way. We, you know, a lot of people were so shocked to see that. And and now it just opens this conversation for um, interpretation. Mm. It doesn't... I think what has plagued Filipino food in the past was, oh, it's not like my mom's or this. But there, mm. there's no way we could compete with your mom's. And yeah. there's so many different ways to do it at that. So I would say adobo and garlic rice. Amazing. Okay, so as I am salivating, <laughs> we will take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Mon, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Um, so, Nicole and Miguel, um, what were some of the surprising things you learned in your research as you were writing the book? A um, couple things. One, you know, there's a very popular dish called sinigang, and it's a sour soup in the Philippines. And usually it's done with guava or tamarind. I mean, we grow up on this. Usually you just rip open um, a, an envelope of nor synagogue mix, mix it with water, and then <laughs> have at it. You know, you'll do a little nuance to make it your own, but it's mm. pretty simple. 
Uh, I was shocked to learn that green pineapple was used as a souring agent in the Philippines. And we could say that prior to the deal with Dole and selling it as a mass market, as a sweet um, fruit, mm. um, that it was more prevalent as a souring addition to synagogue. Those oh, wow. kind of things, like you can't... Yeah, like the history of that the fruit. His, yeah, and then it opens up a <laughs> right. whole new world of cooking. Like, oh, can I cook green pineapple on a grill? Can I make it into a salad ingredient like you would with green papaya? Like, is it too fibrous? Mm. Like, uh, it's just so interesting. It opens a whole new world. Um, so that would be a big one for me. Yeah, I don't so a lot of new ingredients. And- yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest things for me was the Spanish influence. Mm. There were so many things that throughout a travel I would try and I'm like, oh, you know, this is our chivo. Like caldereta, which is a goat stew. In Dominican Republic, we call it chivo guisao. Afritada is our pollo guisao. Arroz caldo, which is made with garlic and ginger. In the Philippines, we do it with garlic and tomato. Mm. So there was a lot of similarities in the yeah. food that kind of transported me back to my childhood. Yeah, and so made that it was easier familiar to for yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and then when we were in Mindanao, we heard on the radio a long um, or almost forgotten language called Chavacano. And I had no idea that Chavacano existed. And it's really almost like a patois, but it's it's Spanish. Okay. So when it came up on the radio, Miguel was like, I know everything that they're saying right now. <laughs> I really know everything You're that like, they're talking about. Unlock this like secret box in your head. <laughs> this secret box. I was like, all right, they cannot fuck with me now. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then that that just solidified so for fun. me. We are Latino Asians. Don't mm. let let's not mince words. It's in our last names. It's in our culture. It's in our um, chanclas or chanelas, and it's in the language. I mean, we're so embedded as Latinos that to not acknowledge that is yeah. really, you know, not even talking about the Filipino culture. Right, and that's also what makes the Philippines so special. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, and with that, if I may, I was really surprised to see how much more Mexican. We are that we were. I was able with Miguel to connect the dots that even more than Spanish, more than Spain, we are in part Mexicans. It's in empanadas, it's in the tamales, mm. it's in a style of dress that we share with Puebla, it's in a mole that we have in the Philippines called bacatulosog. Like, I think it's really convenient to say we're Spanish. Mm-hmm. But let's get real. Who were we likely rubbing elbows with those who came on ship through the Spanish galleon trade? Likely Mexicans mm-hmm. who were sailing through Acapulco, through the Manila-Acapulco trade. That, to me, was like, duh! <laughs> now when I see Mexicans, I see so much more of our similarities, even in facial structure and in our food yeah. and in and, and through your cookbook you're telling that story you're driving awareness towards that as well absolutely Orale. Yeah. Orale. <laughs> yeah i mean the book itself i've not seen a filipino food broken down like this where we take each cultural influence and break it down into a chapter so there's a whole chapter on chinese connection mm-hmm. there's a chapter on mexico and spain and what is often not even you know, heard of is the Muslim side. Um, And the food there is fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good way to categorize the food. Um, So, of course, there was just so much to learn and so much to include um, in your cookbook. 
Um, yeah, what were some of the most challenging things in, in putting it together? It was just, it's just so much content. I mean, when it came to putting all these recipes together, uh, we ran out of pages. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that we had to cut. Um, but A part two? Uh, uh, <laughs> Coming hey, soon? From your lips to God's ears. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, there'll be a volume two, hopefully. But there were so many things that were so delicious that we wanted to share with everybody. But, you know, you're limited as to how much we can put in the, into the book. And it was very important for us, for Nicole, to share the story about what it was to be Filipino, what the regions were like, and really show people that this book was not only a cookbook, but a manifesto as to what Filipino life is all about. Yeah. And what did you guys learn about yourselves in the process? All the traveling and the writing and the long hours. Well, we learned that the hustle is real. You know, we worked long hours. We pushed ourselves. It was something that we both believed in and there wasn't anybody who was going to tell us we couldn't do it, you know. I would say one of the biggest challenges is how do you talk about a culture and interpret it for mainstream and be honorable in the narrative? Um, yeah. I've never written a book before, so how do you translate culture and, and not dumb it down? Um, from whose viewpoint are you talking about food? All of that is really a, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, I mean, I was just like, I want to make sure I get it right. Um, I had hired a woman by the name of Melissa Sapin out in San Francisco um, because I was very cautious how to write. Mm. Um, I wanted to make sure that I, I hit the notes. And, you know, the politics of writing is changing. How do we refer to a food, you know? Um, I'll give you an example. Okay. Could be very easy for me to always relate a dish to a mainstream dish. For instance, if I call pinak bet ratatouille, mm. or if I say, oh, this is the American version of this, or okay. this is the. Okay. At some point, you got to back, you got to pull out of that narrative and just call the food for what it is mm. and have very descriptive and creative ways on how to translate the food without having to market it as a version of X. Right. Does that make yeah, sense? So yeah. I hired, the, I, I, I was talking to my friend over at Penguin, um, another publishing company who, whose name is Elder Roto, who was talking to me about the responsibility of people in color in publishing, that we have such a lack of representation in it that okay, no big deal. Um, and I said, well, how, how can I make sure that we were honorable? And uh, she connected me to a writer's group and Melissa Sapin, who was out of San Francisco, went through with the chapters with me to make sure, you know, let's reframe this sentence this way. Right. It was very, um, I, I like feel so... every sentence every was sentence, very thoughtful. Very yeah, much so. Incredible. You know, I'll, I'll say this yeah. to you. In writing this book, I'm aware of an interview that Dave Chappelle gave with Howard Stern. And in this interview, Howard Stern is talking about Dave Chappelle's wife, who happens to be Filipino. Okay. And Howard Stern is giving an opinion of being Filipino, mm. and Robin is giving an opinion, and then there's Dave Chappelle, um, who is the closest one, being <laughs> married to one. Okay. But I thought, really odd. Here we are, room of four talking about Filipinos, but the only one not the only one talking about Filipinos is not a Filipino. Yeah. So I knew, okay, so now if I'm in the room, how are we going to do this? And um, I think hopefully we did a really good job at yeah. that. 
Yeah, it's definitely a start to the conversation, too. Um, and, um, you know, you guys have done so much and in achieving your mission to start the conversation, drive the conversation around Filipino food. Um, have you had to make some sacrifices, do you think? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, just being in the restaurant business itself. Sleep. How do you, how do you stay sane? <laughs> how do you do it? There's a lot of breathing involved. Um, but, you know, for, I would say, the first five, six years, we sacrificed friendships and mm. our, uh, having a life because the restaurant was everything. And I think now, in the past two years, we found a way to find that balance and really enjoy the fruits of our labor and really just balance everything out. Would you agree? Um, what were the sacrifices? I think, um, yeah, could joke about sleep. Could joke about um, maybe what's not so funny, maybe our relationships and mm. things like that. Um, but I think Miguel's right. We're we're at a different stage of that. When you're in the middle of the hustle, mm -hmm. you eat, sleep, drink. Um, your hustle, yeah, and um, I, I think that we'll always have that in us. We're 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 immigrant kids too, you know. Like, it, it's not that the job is done. It's like, what's the next job? Yeah, you know. Um, but balance, maturity, therapy, mm. <laughs> all of that. Um, and I don't think that that really gets talked a lot about. Mm, I hear smatterings of it, but really like balance and mental health within this industry is really lacking yeah um uh, how do you strive for that work-life balance do you have to just really carve out time for yourself you have to demand it um yes in uh, it's like unlike anything else what you value you have to fight for mm -hmm. so that could be me at 20 um fighting for a job or a salary or me now at 25 <laughs> or me now later on and like what what are my values and what mm -hmm. do I want to fight for um fortunately a lot of what I wanted to accomplish I checked off you yeah. know I said I wanted to have the first commercially in um critically acclaimed Filipino restaurant it had to be both um we did that and uh, the book and um I don't know yeah and uh why do you think it's taken this long for Filipino food to have a voice? Do you feel like there have been other, say, milestones in the dining landscape or changes in a diner's perceptions that have helped people become more curious about Filipino cuisine now? I think everybody was pretty slow and they just started catching up. I mean, Filipino food has been around for a long time and you know, it's if you go out to Queens, you'll see it there. If you go out to Jersey, you're going to see it. You know, what we wanted to do is provide an environment that people felt safe, that was modern, a food was true to its origin, and people started to come. I mean, growing up, everybody I knew knew a Filipino one way or another. There was one degree of separation. Mm -hmm. So... Filipinos bring all these cultures into this restaurant and it's a safe place with a cool vibe and great food and awesome music. It's a whole experience. 
And I think people are starting to catch up to something that has been around for a very, a very long time. Yeah. I think um, there's a few things going on, right? So you had Anth- the late Anthony Bourdain break open the fucking door to food that people would not even think about, yeah. much less seek or try. Yeah. Like he put it in your head, think about this. Think about the people behind it. Think mm-hmm. about this big world that can be refreshingly small when we look at cuisine as a tr- as a passport to new. Um, so th- there's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have, of course, I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying anything new that hasn't been said before, Food Network, and then they have social media. So you have all this confluence of, of, of events and influence. And then what I was saying earlier is you before needed a passport to go to Queens mm-hmm. or Brooklyn. And I mean that in, in the sense of immigrants. And it wasn't mainstream yet. Fortunately, real estate pushes us out and we get to explore. Let's look at the upside of it. And then there's this idea for Filipino food specifically that there's a renaissance and there's a renaissance of this first gen of, p- of kids like myself, mm-hmm. um, like our diners, who grew up being third in the story of, uh, in a classroom or in social studies. Right. And all of them are now educated. They're professionals. They're out there. We're in a different political climate. And it's like, why not me? And I think that that's what we said with the food. And they gravitated toward it. And those who weren't Filipino were like, yeah, why not you? Yeah. It's so so good. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so like you said earlier, um, when you first, um, you know, moved to New York, there was no social media Mm -mm. or like Food Network as much. So There was Asian Avenue. (laughs) Do you remember Asian Avenue? My God. Okay. I don't. (laughs) Do you know MySpace? Yes. Okay, yeah. so there was Friendster. Yes, yes, Shit. there was Friendster. Do you know yes, Friendster? yes. <laughs> and so there was that, but it wasn't like, you know. There was no Instagram. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on social media now and how that plays a role in things? Um, it's a powerful tool. I mean, you know, it reaches so many people in an instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it definitely helps businesses. And yeah, especially if you're educating on something new. Exactly. You know, it sparks interest, and I, I think it's a wonderful tool. It's helped us a lot. With great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and I go. think that social media has a great power. Um, there's two sides to the co- uh, to the coin. Obviously, it could be very. Um, addicting and mm-hmm. this uh, evolution of love sought through likes yeah. you know but i'm not i'm no expert on that what i can say is that what we have benefited through social media which is hey there's this guy named chef bong in pampanga who is following us and he's down oh, to that. show us a dish or there is a remote ass island off of mindanao and they heard about you and they know about you through the Facebook and they would they're they're Love really it. open to hosting you. Now yeah. that 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 shit yeah. would not happen. I mean when Miguel and I first started researching and backpacking, we were hitchhiking, l- lucky to find, you know, hey, where do we go to eat? Now social media made again the world refreshingly small. Yeah, it's definitely sounds like more more positives um, than negatives on that point. 
And um, all right, so since you guys have opened up Maharlika and Jeepney, um, and again, it's almost been a decade, uh, how do you feel the conversation has progressed and changed? You're feeling good about things. How has it uh, changed? Ah, it's such a different world. There's, yeah. there's um, 50 states and maybe a new Filipino restaurant opening in every one of them. Um, there are full communities, chefs that were like, let me support you. Uh, where did you get that ingredient? There's a conversation. There's now a headquarters. There's a home for people. You know, I, I remember going to this one city and I said, well, when dignitaries come, where do you bring your dignitaries? Uh, uh, you know, a Philippine mm, company. Mm -hmm. And then they said, we, we go to this Thai restaurant around the corner. Now that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, kids will grow up maybe not being so embarrassed about balut or eating with their hands or using a euphemism to describe a, a chocolate stew, which is made with blood. I mean, it is, it is different. Mm -hmm. um, Toyo Eatery just won um, one of the top 50 restaurants in Asia, the Philippine, the only um, bad saint in Washington, DC. I mean, stop me because, because I could go on and on. <laughs> Melissa Miranda is opening up in Seattle this was not what happened yeah. when I was out there in them streets and knocking on doors and trying to find a Filipino chef to say, hey, you know, I think there's something here. Yeah, that's amazing. You recognize that, though, early on. And kudos to you and Miguel on being part of that wave and leading the charge. And if I may, yeah. um, there were restaurants bef way fucking before us, whether it was Cendrillon or Crystal's. Um, or um, what was the one on First Avenue of starts with an E, Migs? Do you remember? Elvis. Elvis, which people still ask, hey, what happened to Elvis? You know, like the food was always good. Um, the market's just different now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think like you bringing your marketing and advertising expertise to building awareness around the restaurants, that did help. It didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt. <laughs> so what's next for you guys? Uh, we're going to cook on the moon. We're going to take okay. Filipino food <laughs> into outer space. Um, what's next? We're, you know, there's so many possibilities. But, you know, we definitely want to build a brand and um, hit some second cities and possibly even the West Coast. Um, and we're looking forward to just enjoying this nomination of James Beard. I mean... Shit, that's so... That's the Oscars of food right it's there. It's so bomb, except I called my mom today and I said, Mom, you know, we were just nominated for a James Beard. She's like, what's that? Well, it's kind of like Oscars for food. She's like, well, anyway, I have to go gardening now. And I was like, <laughs> way to keep it real. <laughs> yeah. Way to keep it real. <laughs> but you know she's like telling every single relative and friend. Yeah, well, no, I just you know, want to, like, we're keeping it real, but it's really nice to be acknowledged by such a prestigious group of people who know food, who understand industry. And mm -hmm. that's, it's, I mean, it's such an honor. Yeah, yeah. the recognition is getting diversified. Yes. It's great to see. Yes. Um, okay, so before we wrap up the show, we always ask a round of fun quick fire questions. And it's meant to be fast, so just share what comes to mind first. <laughs> okay, um, other than Maharlika and Jeepney, of course, what's your favorite restaurant right now? 
Eliza's busy corner. I was going to say that. <laughs> Eliza's busy what is corner. That? It's a Greek restaurant out in Queens by Ditmars. Mm. Amazing food, super simple. Uh, I had the most amazing Chilean sea bass that when I took oh. a bite, I just put my fork down and I stared at the plate for a while <laughs> because I did not want the meal to end. Wow, I love that description. All right, same with you too. <laughs> okay, so he took Elias's um, in New York. God, the pressure. Does anyone know Pretty Woman of a Name? The pressure of a name. <laughs> Do you know what? You know? The pressure of a name. Okay. So. It can be outside of, it can, yeah. It can be outside of New York, too. Okay. Um. Damn. Well, oh, my God. Okay, so uh, I really love um, Charles Pan Fried Chicken up in Harlem. Um, he's choice, wonderful. And um, if I were to go modern, I'm such a fan of um, At- um, Atla. Yeah, that's yeah. got a lot of recognition recently, too. Yeah. Um, okay, what's the um, best thing you ate recently? And it can be out at your restaurant or at home. Uh, best thing I ate recently was at Jewel Baco. We had the omakase. Every single Indulgence. bite was so delicious. And so fresh. Well thought out. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I just got back from a trip, and I had the best tom yum I've ever had in my whole entire life in this place called um, Kota Kudumbalu. And the levels of flavor and depth was just beyond anything I've ever had before. So that was it's pretty tops right what now. What city was that in? Um, Kota oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a port city, and uh, it was not the name of the restaurant. It was, <laughs> it was a stand, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was it was nondescript, you know, a couple of bucks, and it was tom yum and uh, laksa and just all these colorful, fragrant. It was beautiful. That's so perfect. Yeah. Okay, and this is kind of a selfish question for me since I haven't been to the Philippines. But for a first timer visiting, what are the top three places they need to visit? The Vow, Palawan, and Bohol, or Panglao, which is right off of Bohol. Yeah. I'm, I'm with him on Panglao, an island off of Bohol. Um, Shit, the pressure <laughs> of a there's name. There's also Sagada, but there's a special reason for that one. They have the best hash. <laughs> um, yeah, priorities are, you know, top three are different for every individual. Yeah, I, yeah. I do love um, Mindanao and Maguindanao and um, everywhere we went there. It was so precious and foodie-driven um, flavors, things that would never, ever combine i was just starstruck with that and you know what the heck i really also loved Quiapo, which is not a tourist destination um but also it was um an area where there's a lot of Muslims. Mm. And so the food is peppered with different stands from um, 
that cuisine. I'm yeah. really, I'm, I'm big on that right now. No, that's, that's awesome. Like yeah. bringing awareness to an area that isn't so familiar and more off the beaten path. Right. Um, well, that's amazing. Thanks for all the answers, you guys, and for sharing your stories with us. Um, we really appreciate you having you guys here. Thank you. Thank you so for having much. us. Um, and that wraps up our show. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Did you like this episode? Please leave us a podcast review to let us know your thoughts and what you want to hear more of. We truly appreciate your feedback. And we'll be back in a couple weeks, that's April 10th, with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.